Greetings. Hello and welcome. The archival recording you are about to hear was sourced from live streaming audio in an effort to expand content reach. I have decided to repurpose the show as an audio podcast. I have done my best to remaster the audio quality for your ears, but I have chosen to leave its content and length unedited, so you may hear reference to visual cues not described in said audio. If you would like to see the original live streaming video podcast this recording comes from, please head over to youtube.com slash C slash Frumis Films LLC or just search Frumis, F-R-U-M-E-S-S. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Audio from episode to episode will also vary in quality. Sorry about that. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Jeff from us. <laughs> hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. We're live. I'm live here with my buddy Nate Dog, aka Hello. Nathan Man. Hello. He's Hello. Nathan yes. Man. I'm Jeffrey Man. Today, yes, I'm, I'm Nathan Man. That mic in the middle is actually my voice. That's right. That's Linktree Man. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, actually, you know, it syncs up really well. Like it, it, this was a good. This worked out well. This was good. I'm glad. Um, so, uh, welcome to the show today. If you couldn't tell by the title or the thumbnail, we are talking about Invincible. Invincible. I, uh, I thought we were talking about Spider Jerusalem, but okay. Oh yeah. Uh, notice, <laughs> notice Nate Dog's really cool Spider Jerusalem glasses. Quick story about that before we begin. I, where I used to work, there was a guy who designs sun. Oh no, he doesn't design sunglasses. He comes in wearing glasses just like those, but they have no actual, yeah, but they're prescription glasses, but he, they're more arty frames. Not exactly like those. Those, those are like a, a little bit more extreme. The ones that he has on are look a little bit more normal, but one's a square lens and one's a circle lens. And wow. He, everybody compliments him on these glasses. So finally, you know, he comes into the office and I go, oh, hey, man, that, it's like Spider Jerusalem. And I knew that because of you, because you had those glasses. And wow. he gave me such a stink eye <laughs> because quite clearly somebody, and he's an old guy. He's an old guy who, you know, was a member of a synagogue. Really weird. He, he was in like the, the, the floor, the carpet business. And uh, I think he, people have before said to him, Hey, those are Spider Jerusalem glasses. When he tries to tout them as, oh, this is my own original thing, like that's the pro- that's his problem. He wants to, people to think that that's his thing, and it's not. It's Spider Jerusalem from Trans Transmo, whatever that show. Yeah, what Transmetropolitan, right? Kind of like that premiered over twenty years ago, right? So it's just kind of I, I just kind of laughed at that. He man, that guy de- uh, dead eyed me and stink eyed me and like stop really really was was rude to me ever since that. That All right. interaction, which was totally, I wasn't trying to like, you know, wasn't trying to, you know, pull him down or anything, but it was just like, you know, I mean, come on, like, like call a spade a spade, you know, <laughs> yeah. it is what it is. Um, but yeah, we're actually here today to talk about Invincible, uh, which is the brand new a- Amazon Prime animated adaptation of a comic that's been around for, how long has Invincible been around for? Invincible started in 2003. I Holy believe. shit. Oh, so he was right. He's been writing Invincible as long as The Walking Dead. Yeah, he's been doing double duty. You know what's funny? Robert Kirkman, the creator yeah, of The Robert Walking Kirkman. Dead. Right. Also and, created and, the show. Right. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, oh, and I was just going to point out here, if you um, fans of The Walking Dead, it'll be worth it to look at the voice credits for this show. You will see a lot of familiar right. names. Right. Yeah, but before we even get into that, What's interesting to me, I, uh, for my, a little back history for me at my relationship with Robert Kirkman's writing, I've been reading The Walking Dead since 2004. When Walking Dead exploded in 2010, it was like, it, it melted my mind because to me, this was a little independent black and white comic that could, that was just like, you know, had exploded in within the comic book community, but was a very, I mean, I, man, I used to spend hours trying to tell people about this comic and like how twisted it was and the brilliance of the writing. Cause that's what, you know, Kirkman does two things really well. He's really good at plotting things. He's really good at subverting expectations and he's really good at um, 
building up relationships and characters and then tearing them all down. It's something he does. It's part of his signature style. And that's what makes The Walking Dead so spectacular. And, you know, of course, eventually over the course of almost 20 years, it becomes repetitive and you start to see it coming a mile away and you start to go, all right, all right, we know what's going to yeah. happen. You still, you know, I, I, I stayed with The Walking Dead all the way into the end. And yeah. as a matter of fact, I think 2019 was the last, I mean, I was the, when I closed the book on the final volume and it, it was like, man, a major, I mean, I'm almost 16 years of reading this book, which was almost half my life. Um, just really a constant presence. I had heard about Invincible, but I was always, I was oh, like, man, yeah, I was like, whatever. I, I'd rather read Marvel and DC. I, I, I'm good with The Walking Dead. I don't need to check so, this out. Since you said that Robert Kirkman is good at subverting expectations, why yeah. don't we, like, let's give a brief overview of the plot of Invincible, at least for season one. Well, wait, wait, uh, before you even get there, Tell me first how uh, your relationship with Kirkman and when okay. you first heard about Invincible. All right. So I got into The Walking Dead. I, I kind of got on the hype train. Um, it, it was 2010. Um, Lost had ended, you know, earlier that year. And I was looking right. for something new to sink my teeth into. And I saw, you know, a really great marketing campaign for The Walking Dead. And I'm oh. thinking, okay. You know, I don't entirely dislike zombies. I'll give this a shot. Right. Um, so I, I have fond memories, you know, back when I was working in retail, I would watch the show during my break, um, you know, on my iPod classic. Oh, uh, wow. You yeah. Just threw, you just threw it back. Now, you never read. So you weren't reading the you, were, you didn't read the comic I, book first. Not at first. And um, I still have a ways to go with the comic. Um, I, I kind like. Yeah, where yeah. are you so we don't accidentally spoil anything? All Out War. I ended with All Out War. Um, okay, with Negan. With with that with the resolution of that arc in the comics. Okay, but I know exactly I was, where you are. Good. Okay. Okay, good. but <laughs> I but I remember being really impressed with the show for what it was at the time because this had you know you know big budget level makeup effects and gore on a TV show and. This was not something you saw very often. Nowadays, it's like run of the mill. Right. Um, but, you know, they really, you know, they put a lot of time and effort into making this look like a feature. Yep. And Along with like Breaking Bad and like, you know, The Wire and The Sopranos. Like these, are, this was like the rise of, of episodic, dramatic television that was very much in the same, uh, in the vein of both BBC and what was happening in like, Japan and South Korea and like even China with like, you know, episodic dramatic storytelling, like in manga exactly. and like just, you know, that sort of thing. Exactly. Like all throughout the nineties, you had shows like uh, Babylon five and Buffy the vampire slayer that took right. on much more episodic narratives. And right. those were or things. Mainly, those, but yeah, but even Babylon five is the big one because that literally had a story going over five years. Oh, 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 you mean, oh, you're talking about, sorry, sorry. I, uh, misunderstood I mean, what you're saying, yeah. you're saying the opposite, the things that did carry on from episode. That did carry on. Right. And right, those right. kind of heralded this sort, you know, this sort of age where, um, you know, you know, and, and sort of throughout the nineties though, people started to experiment with it. Like you had right. the X files, which right. were the, Many people will remember that show as like a freak of the week type show, but yeah. peppered throughout That's... each season were episodes dealing with Mulder's search for his you sister. know answers, his sister, and answers yeah. about her disappearance. Right, those episodes can be watched by themselves, and they tell a coherent narrative. Right, but but those were very few and far in between. But those were also those were also really I mean that was also really great. I also like that too. I like the idea of doing like an isolated freak of the week but having an overarching narrative. Even Seinfeld was experimenting with that by season oh, yeah. 4 and 5 where they season were like four, writing a show. Yeah, they're writing a show about season nothing. 4 that whole thing with but that but those were just self-contained isolated right. Curb Your Enthusiasm did it too. Yeah, Curb Your Enthusiasm as well. When you get to like Babylon Five, that was the yeah. show that really dared to require people to remember stuff that happened years right. earlier, um, and it worked. And you know, people who watched that, who were part of that, decided to 
bring that out into you know into shows that they created and co- concepts that they created. Now, um, what about Buffy? T- tell me about Buffy, because from my understanding, Buffy was also kind of a big bad freak of the week sort of. Buffy situation. did have a big bad freak of the week, but um, I-, I think really with the first season, um, it kind of was that for a while. But there was like an overarching villain in each in each season um that the show revolved around um and there would be plot threads that would carry over from season to season but yes buffy very much also asked its viewers please try to remember these things that i that we did in a previous episode or or season right now this has been happening in comic books forever like going back to the dawn of the comic book pretty much was this is what this is comic book storytelling now and seizing also, into television. Yeah, and also speaking in that vein, the first time I ever really saw anything like that in television, at least that I remember, there were two Saturday morning cartoons that I really loved that did this. You had the Saturday morning Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, the second right. season of that um, was actually he- heavily episodic and actually gotcha. brought the show to a resolution slash cliffhanger. Um, and the 90s Spider-Man that aired on Saturday mornings, yes, starting with the yes. second season on, they would do whole season-long arcs um, that dealt with an ongoing issue. Like, yeah, um, like there was Madam Web. There was Madam Web. You that had Madam Web. You had a whole clone saga. Dedi- yeah, you had clones. You had the whole season dedicated to Peter Parker potentially mutating into a monster. Like, this was ballsy stuff um, right. for right. the 90s. Sure so was. That's, that's kind of how we got to this point in television where you had consistently episodic storytelling. Right. Um, now let's launch into Invincible. What is – so here's the thing, and this is the title – of what I said for this. Uh, actually, let me see what I wrote. I already forgot. <laughs> I wrote, this is this is the title of what we're watching. I said, Robert Kirkman's Invincible takes well-worn story tropes through the Walking Dead filter. I and, agree with that. You, you said at the very beginning that he subverts expectations. This yeah. show right out of the gate will subvert all your expectations. Right. You got to make it through. I, I spoke to my friend, shout out to Michael J. Wolf. I spoke to my friend, Michael J. Wolf from the band Wolfface, and he was like, man, I couldn't get through the first episode. And I said, you have to get to the end credits. And yes. he did. And again, we're now entering spoiler territory. Yes, major not spoiler the show, territory. Turn off the show now because we're going to spoil the shit out of the show. If I'm, this is your last warning. Spoilers. If you don't want the show to be spoiled, do not watch. Ready? Boom. What happens after the credits roll? All right, so let's show. break down. Let's yes. break down the plot of this show because to tell people out of context is a little unfair. Okay, Invincible deals with um, a young man named Mark Grayson. Uh, okay. Mark is the son of Nolan Grayson, who is whose alter ego is Omni Man, one right. of the greatest superheroes Earth has ever known. Right, Omni Man. Now he's like a Superman. He's, he's basically he he's basically a Superman esque character. He comes from another planet called Viltrum, um, yep. and he claims that he is there to um, help assist Earth in its development as a right. planet, as a civilization, They're an altruistic an, society, a, a, a heavily altruistic planet. society. Yeah, um, and and no, and Mark as as a half human, half Viltrumite. Could potentially, you know, will could potentially have the same powers as his father. Right, and it's unknown. Could be a it's superhero. unknown yet. It's unknown, but typically a Viltrumite manifests uh, their powers, which is basically super strength, uh, near invulnerability, and, and super speed, um, and the ability to fly. Right. By the time they turn eighteen, and right. in the very first episode, Mark manifests his powers. By accidentally throwing a garbage bag that lands in London. Um, right. So, with that said, um, 
you know, so it seems like this is going to be your typical, you know, superhero show with um, right. Mark, the son of Omni-Man, uh, who right. takes on the name Invincible, um, you know, learning from his dad and learning to be a superhero. Then we get to the end credits. Uh, do you want the honors, Jeff? Because I know that you're oh, you're so kind. I know I'll that you're chomping at the bit to tell people how this is different. <laughs> so the end credits come, and up to this point, I'm kind of like, why am I watching the show? But here's the thing, and this is why I made the title of this 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 podcast that you're watching right now the, the title that it is, because it's Robert Kirkman, and the thing that Robert Kirkman loves to do is surprise you. He goes. Surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> and then he does something that is just like, holy shit. And like leaves you with your mouth wide open, dropped wide open. And, you know, if it's The Walking Dead, he does it with a trade paperback. So you got to wait six more months. Or if you're reading month to month, you got to wait a whole month to find out what's going to happen next. And you're just like, God damn it, Robert Kirkman, fuck you. Um, <laughs> and he just, he's so good at doing that. And so, thank God, they released Invincible not episodically. It's released as a full season, which made me really happy, right? Um, yeah. So, so the, the the credits roll, and that's the way – that's the style of the show. The credits roll, and then something happens after the credits as sort yeah, of like a coda episodes. to the show or an, uh, an epilogue to the show. And they spend this first episode establishing their own Justice League-like – team you have an aquaman you have a flash you have a martian manhunter you have your batman you have your wonder woman you have your thor you have like you just have all these different and you don't really know much about them. you have a green lantern it's kind of more dc than it is uh marvel and yeah. um because because uh what's his face ultraman the viltramite he's a, he's um he's a whatchamacallit he's a he's, he's a, a superman, superman. Right, he's the Superman. So it's a it's a DC yeah. universe paradigm. Although Invincible, even, yeah, I guess Invincible is actually Superboy when you think about it. But um, he is, yeah, he is kind of Superboy. Kind of Superboy. In any case, the so does that make what's her face Starfire? Whatever. In any case, the, um, <laughs> I don't be. know. I don't know. Um, the there's a there's a call to the JLA headquarters for this superhero yeah. team, the Guardians. Guardians, of, Guardians the of the Globe. Yeah. Guardians of the Globe headquarters. Everybody gets the alert. They're they're all jumping at the, the the out of the gate to go meet up and assemble. And they are ambushed by Ultraman. And they, of course it's I, wordless. Yeah. There's no dialogue. They don't tell you why. Is he under mind control? That's the first thing you go to. And that was a classic trope with Superman. Is Superman and here's what I love right out of the bat, and this is something I really want to uh, emphasize about the what I really like. It's it's so Robert Kirkman, and it's so uh, it, it's just truly wonderful. You never really, uh, you know. I was talking with Bob Rose. Shout out to Bob Rose. On uh, we were talking about Bat uh, Man of Steel. We did a whole episode on Man, Man of Steel uh, leading up to the the Snyder cut, and he was marveling at the mechanics. They really show you the mechanics of Kryptonian powers in Man of Steel, and he's right. You know, Zack Snyder, you can hate on Zack Snyder all you want, but Zack Snyder really knows how to shoot comic books. You know what I mean? He knows how to make a movie out of a comic book aesthetically, and it looks great. And I don't know if I, – I, I can't judge – I can't read Nathan's face right now, so I don't know if he is uh, I, I, <laughs> absolutely like, reviled. I, I'm trying I'm not saying. to jump in here because like this could we no could don't do, don't don't let me finish what could, I'm saying. This would totally change the course of this whole. Yeah, we're not going to. We're not going into Snyder. I'm the, I'm making a point. <laughs> I'm making a point in saying that Bob pointed out how Snyder was very good about showing the mechanics of Kryptonian superpowers, which you never really truly see in any medium outside of the cartoons it just doesn't really it doesn't really register in the real world when it's animated and in previous you know live action versions superman you know he just kind of it's true he just kind of poses you don't really get to see him in action the way you do in man of steel and he sort of transcends just being superman and really is like you know you think about dragon ball z there's a lot of places you go when when i was watching man of steel again in any case Robert Kirkman does the same thing with what a Kryptonian could do to the human body 
via the Voltramite powers, the Ultraman's powers. You see how powerful Superman truly is and how he could literally, he, the way he rips people apart, it's almost it's almost like an art in and of itself of like yeah. just demonstrating how truly powerful and violent, the violence that a super being could be capable of if they wanted to take a human being apart. And we get our first taste of that with this bloodbath. What Ultraman does is he reveals that he is out to kill the Guardians of the Globe. And that's exactly what he does. He rips them apart. It is one versus seven or one versus six. And though he takes a beating and he takes a big beating, it shows us that that Vulturemites are not invincible. As you said, exactly. they're nigh invincible. Um, yeah. He does kill every single one of them, and he does it in the absolute most grisliest, graphicest. He does it in a graphic, grisly way, and yeah. um, it it, no, it just leaves you with your no mouth mercy. hanging open. Yeah, no, no mercy. mercy. Like like these people meant nothing to him, right? And it sets you up for why did he do this? What is going to happen on this show? What does this all mean? And I think that he does it. They don't really get into it. He does it because his son gets superpowers, right? Like I think that that is like as we learn more about him and what he, you know, I, I will. Can I talk about the comic because I did read a little of the comic. I have not read any of the comics, so I'd okay, rather, so I unfortunately, would rather you not because I want to go in learning okay. stuff that I did not find out in the show. So please right. take, keep that in mind when you speak. All right, I, I won't say anything explicitly, but. When you get to the like issues uh, eleven or twelve, like when Nolan finally like comes clean with with Mark and tells him about Viltrumite and who he really is, um, a little bit more is detailed into his motivations and why he took so long to start. Oh, I'm really glad. I'm really really um, glad to hear it, that because. But yeah. one thing I can say, you know, one thing that you can probably that a viewer of the show can figure out on their own, he gets to Earth. He, you know, and he's ready to conquer. Um, but before he can do that, he has to stop everyone else who wants to conquer Earth first because there's an every, every time you turn around, there's another monster. There's another supervillain who's out there trying to decimate this planet that he's trying to take over. So he right. has to stop them first. And the easiest way for him to do that is to pretend to be a superhero. That's so perhaps that's why it takes so long. Him. Yeah. That, that, that's a huge reason as to why. And I think because he realizes that Mark has superpowers and can be a hero, he has backup. Right. So he waits, and then just as Mark gets his powers, he's like, okay, time to take out the Guardians of the Globe, and he does. And exactly. there's this wonderful Hellboyish character who's like a detective He's a demon detective from Damien hell. Damien Darkblood, who is yeah, my favorite character great. on this show. I bet. Uh, he's, he's just he's awesome. He's a mashup of um, Rorschach. Yes, Hellboy, he's Rorschach and Hellboy. And yep. John Constantine. It's perfect. All three of those guys. He's, he's perfect. so perfect. I want him to have his own spinoff show. Um, yeah. And, and you also have this other character. What's the name of the guy from the agency? And he's got scars on his face and he teleports he's I love Cecil. I love yeah. the character. He's like a Nick Fury. You don't know why his face is all scarred up. So he clearly has a history. The characters and the universe right off the bat feel super worn in. Like you feel like you're walking into a place that has a history and it's awesome. Yes. You know, which is really, right. really nice. There is a rich history to this world to this world that Robert Kirkman has created already. Right, and, and they I, tell you, you learn about it through casual glimpses in dialogue, which is nice too. Nothing is spoon-fed. Everything is just like, oh, they casually mentioned this in conversation and then it comes out. Like it doesn't, nobody turns to the break the fourth wall and be like, we are doing this because blah, 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 you know? Right. So I really like that. And then what, I mean, the whole show is you're trying to figure out He's developed. I mean, basically, the whole show, the whole season, can be summed up as we're slowly. He's trying to keep this under wraps. Ultraman is trying to keep everything under wraps. Uh, at the same time, as Mark is slowly becoming this superhero called Invincible, 
and learning right. the ups and downs of being a superhero. And there's a whole subplot where he has to face like, off against. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Like, like I'll give you an idea. It's like just as to how good Kirkman is at, at um, subverting expectations. Think about the first person that Mark actually saves. Um, it's during that alien. It's during oh, the yeah. first alien invasion. He saves this yep. old lady. He brings her to the hospital. Yep. And you would All think like you know, this is like this really heroic moment, but even despite yep. his best efforts, she still dies, she and does. that really weighs on him. Yep. You know, like this is the first person he ever rescued, and it was, and it, it, you can tell by on the look in his face, it's all for naught. I love that too. He I feels really, like, really like what was that. it all for? It, it really shows that this is not a life you just jump into. It is not it's heroic. Not it's not glitzy and glamorous. There are risks. People will die. You will not be able to save everybody, and that is something that you know. And from that point on, you know, Mark, anytime he sees somebody in danger while he's flying around as invincible, even in the climactic final battle, he tries to save them first. Right. It shows. Like, it's, well, I mean, he's a hero. He, he is legitimately a hero. And he we're going to get into that. A hero. He wants to save people. If he can stop somebody from dying in front of him, he will try to do that first. He chooses, and this is part of the trope I wanted to talk about uh, in a minute. He chooses being an Earthling over his 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 heritage, uh, his his superpower heritage. He chooses he chooses to use his superpowers from his superpower heritage and not the the dogma that comes with that background. And instead, the he 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 puts his humanity first before. The, yeah, the, the cause of of the of the of the extraterrestrial, you know, his yeah, extraterrestrial like, background. The best know? way to describe, like, I, I always describe Superman as this way: he is a Kryptonian who self-identifies as a human being. You know, he yeah. lives on Earth; it's his home. He will, you know, he he'll well, protect that planet before anything else. He was adopted by Earth. It makes Mark, him a human. Mark very much is the same way. He was born on, despite having that half alien heritage, he adopted Earth as his home planet, and he has decided he's going to protect that and the people around him above well, all else. I would say because he's half human and because he's born on Earth, he was a he was an Earthling first. Yeah, and his father, you're... his father is being like, "Hey, you're at, This is the this is actually the deal here." And Mark's like, no, I mean, I'm I'm an Earthling. I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't know. I I would I I see what you're saying. I, I feel like it's, I feel like the I feel like the the slight variation on what you're saying is yeah. more accurate. Actually, which would you be raise that, a point. He was a human first for like 17 right. years. He was which a normal different human from Superman. Who could not do yeah. any of the things that right. his father was able to do. He's he's I mean he's an Earthling as opposed to Superman who was born on Krypton is a Kryptonian and adopted on Earth and ident identifies as a human being despite being Kryptonian, whereas Mark is half and half and born of Earth. So therefore, it's like, it's not exact. Like he is choosing his, he's choosing his uh, environment over his heritage. No, exactly. that's not right either. He's, I don't know. I don't know. But in any case, what ends up happening is yeah, he slowly learns these lessons about being a superhero. I love the Martian episode. It was great. There was always kind of like a big bad of the week as well yeah. as, you know, and they always weaved oh, it really well. They did it so well. The romance, that, that, the Peter Parker stuff. Yeah. Um, that's another great example of subverting a trope. He comes out to Amber and she's like, no, fuck you. I'm ditching you not because I know you're a superhero, but because you've been an asshole this whole time. Yeah, that was a great subversion of tropes. And also, you once said something that I felt was like, the, you, you said you like really nailed the core of Peter Parker's character, which I think Kirkman, he's, he knew what that core was too, and then he just took that and ran with it in Invincible. What is the core of Peter Parker's character and like the, the core of his pathos in, in, as a character? Like he's somebody who, you know, he values the responsibility. Um, he doesn't, you know, he failed to say he made a stupid choice that ultimately resulted in the death of someone he cared about. So he values above all else, you know, 
doing the right thing, stopping the bad guys first before living his life. And because he, but the problem yeah. is that because he's trying to keep his secret identity, that, you know. Being the superhero first often damages his personal life. Right. You said it. You said it to me so succinctly one time. I'm going to repeat it. I've never forgotten it. I'm going to say it. Oh, this was, these are your words, not mine. You said any time that Peter Parker, whatever Peter Parker wants is the opposite of what Spider-Man wants. And Peter Parker will always choose what Spider-Man wants first over what Peter Parker wants. Exactly. And they're always the opposite of each other. And that's the core pathos of Peter Parker. And that gets transplanted perfectly with Mark trying to balance a social life and being a superhero all at the same time. Yeah. You know, um, and you know, his father it's, and they, you know, they kind of, I love the way that the father like demonstrates like flight and like how it's like a muscle. Like he tries to add some like real mechanics to being a superhero that it's not just yeah. like, you know, you don't just naturally have a grasp of your powers, kind of like General Zod, who did not grow up with the powers the way Superman does, so that like when he does access them, like he, he has a pretty good mastery of them, like immediately, which I thought was kind of ridiculous. A point for, apart from the fact that he probably his Kryptonian military training allows him to adapt a lot faster than maybe Clark did, being alone in the world with these powers and not knowing how to use them. And yeah, learning not, it over a longer and, period of time. And also desire to conquer right out the gate made yeah. it easier to adapt. Yeah, sure. You know, the person who sure. wants power is going to be more used to having it when he gets it than somebody who doesn't want it. Right. Now, we mentioned before, and again, they set it up, and you know something's not right with Omni-Man's narrative because yeah. you can't take it at face value. He says, oh, we're an altruistic society that goes to various planets that are not as developed as ours and help them to be the best that they can be. And, you know, that's obviously that there's something, whatever that is, he's, whatever he's doing is probably the opposite of that. And again, we see that again, where he talks about earth is not yours to conquer when he goes to the, the, the exactly. alien dimension. That's your, that's your first clue that he, right. you know, as to his motivation, he's, he says, earth is not yours to conquer. And right. also I do want to point out during that montage, you do see him straight up butchering people who clearly were not even trying to put up a fight. Like he goes all out. You mean the aliens? Yeah, he just slaughters yeah. them. He he, like, he obliterates he, the race. You know. Yeah, he he well, at, at least he puts them down to the point where like it'll be a long time before they can try it again. Right, and he you also see them in the final montage. You're right, and he also the way he talks to people when he's not, doesn't have his act up, like he demands, and they flash back to this, but you could tell something's off, even when he does it. He demands his his worn costume after the he slaughters the Guardians of the Globe because exactly. he wants to hide the evidence. And, you know, and you have Mark Hamill plays the, the, the costumer, who's also yeah. his best friend, or a good friend of his. And what's interesting, and it shows you that there is a shred of humanity we do see and again i'm sure that pro this probably gets expanded upon in the in the comics i can't wait to tear it up open and read it the fact that even though omni man reveals himself to be this this completely cold calculating you know the way he views human beings is they're ants that's what they are to yeah him. nothing they're more ants. They're, they're just ants they're not his wife is not a pet. his words right he says his wife is a pet he's not even though he can like they can you know uh, they're compatible on a biological level that they can have children. You know, he 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 looks at human beings indifferently because of how you know how long his lifespan is and how powerful he is. And it's like he's not looking to squash what he views as ants if he doesn't have to. But at the same time, he's not going to let an ant stand in the way of his goal. And that's what he's trying to sort of teach Mark. And they do this. Once again, totally subverting uh, a, a, an amazing scene from Spider-Man 2 that I've seen get turned into a meme where... The think, the think the scene. The what? Is the that the think scene? Think. No, where... The think, no, where with the, with the subway. 
Oh, right, the subway. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my God. He just it's puts the sun in front of the subway, and yeah, the that, subway just accordions on Mark, because that's how yeah. powerful these guys are. And literally, Mark's body is used as a blunt instrument to rip, like, literally 200 or 300 human beings apart that are just on the yeah. subway train. Like, it is gory and graphic. And brutal. Um, all throughout that sequence that Jeff Oof. is talking about here, Every time Marx tries to save somebody or anytime humans get close, Omni-Man goes out of his way to kill the humans just to show Mark how weak they are and how helpless that they are to even one Viltrumite. Right. And, you know, he explains when he finally opens up to Mark and tells him, we see a scene where he's practicing the speech. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, he's not totally like, and, you know, he tries to, he tries to kill Mark. He tries to be like, okay, you're against me, then uh, you have to die. And, you know, he, again, tries to justify being by being like, you know, 17 years, you've been with me for 17 years, but my lifespan is thousands of years long. And you'll, your, your lifespan is thousands of years long, and you don't even realize it. And, you know, it just, it's kind of crazy when you think about like that, he probably has been like he's been doing what he's been doing for as long you know for the length of modern human civilization like he is just he's an ancient guy yeah he's been around for a long time you know but his even humanity and that's what like you know all these comic books try to do they try to show us how precious i mean isn't that like a running trope in all like comic literature of like how humanity is this amazing thing and like we can't lose our humanity and that humanity is good and you know like and when life you think, has to be protected and that life is precious and has to be protected and even he is infected by these core concepts of humanity so much so that when he's a punch away from killing his son he instead abandons his post he has a flashback to his son's first baseball game and oh, it just so he just can't do it, um, right? I mean, I have my own questions and my own thoughts as to why he just as to why he just abandons it. Um, I don't know if he's really if that causes some sort of change in him, or if he's just going to like tag out and ask another Viltrumite to take over because this is too personal to him. I hope you're not spoiling the comic because I'm I can not, totally see that happening. Okay, hold Holy on. Crap. Jeff, let me be clear here. I've only read the equivalent of the first season of the comics. Which is um, only 20 comics, you said? It's only like, let me see. I wrote it down somewhere. Um, I, I'd say, I think the third, first 13 issues. Um, it's oh, wow. Not, I'm really looking forward then to like, this it, compendium is going to be like, like a, open up everything. Like, like season one is pretty much a very uh, – um, I'd say about a 75% faithful adaptation of the first year of Invincible. Question, question. Um, how how many comics are in that first compendium? There's like 47. Yes! Wow, That I'm so looking forward yeah. to reading this. I can't wait to get it. Okay, cool. Yeah. That makes me really, really happy. And, you know, like, Seth Rogen plays this alien that, that yeah. you know, I, it's a whole complicated thing, but he, like, travels around and, like, tests planets yeah, to see if and, they can withstand superpower threats, and he basically alludes to the fact that the that there's a wide, whole wide galaxy that wants to oppose the Viltrumite right. Empire. Now, we we should elaborate a little bit on this because I don't think we've ever sure. explicitly said Nolan's actual motives here. So we've kind of said that you know everything that Nolan has said about his origin is a lie. So who exactly are the right. Viltrumites? They are they are basically like. A, space nazis they're nazis but in space they are extremely nationalistic they have a like they have like they have this very big purity uh complex going on here where they literally had the strongest of their people slaughter the weakest of their people and after that yeah 50 percent of them survived and of the of that 50 percent they decided to go out and conquer the galaxy Right. Any planet that they can get their hands on, they could. And when they were stretched too thin from fighting too many wars on too many fronts, um, they decided that they would send one of their own to a planet they wanted. That one by himself would prepare that planet for takeover. And when that planet was weak enough, 
the re the rest of the, you know, the Viltrumites would send, you know, a conquering team to take it over. No one's target was Earth. And when Mark got his powers, that's when he started actually, you know, stepping up his game and killing the protectors of Earth rather than those who would wish to destroy or conquer it. Right. And, and it's like, now, where have we heard this before? And we can, now we can go into other, I mean, the, the, the two things that, the tropes that we're talking about, the time, the time-tested tropes that are great tropes that Kirkman is adapting from are, I would say, both really, I mean, from Dragon Ball Z, from a little bit from Superman via Man of Steel, although that came after Invincible. So really it's this idea, this concept of drag that, that's in Dragon Ball Z. And basically it's like this in a nutshell. Dragon Ball Z takes place or begins after an entire series before it where this kid, Goku, is literally just like a weird kid with a tail. And then the yeah. very first episode of the next series, it's like, where are they going to go with it? Oh, he's actually a part of an intergalactic race of super strong warriors that basically go from planet to planet and they're planet brokers. They 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 commit genocide and then clear the planet for other races that want to buy the planets. And then they are a part of a federation I that don't belongs even, to this guy, Frieza. <laughs> I, I, yeah, actually, I'll argue that because it's been so long, I don't know if that part of them being brokers is really true. I just think that that they're conquerors that no they that's what they do no no no. that's like, what they do because they, like they... i i know that the ocean dub did change a lot of plot points to try and be more suitable for children's television wait really yeah whoa every what does time it say? You, every time somebody says i'm gonna send you into another dimension that is literally um yeah i'm gonna kill you that that's literally yeah, they literally had to change that because they couldn't, for whatever reason, they could not say the word kill. It isn't until the show got to Cartoon Network that they actually tack, acknowledge that death is a thing in the Dragon Ball Z universe. Yeah, but but hold on a second. That That is, I've seen flashbacks where it shows, like, that's what they were. They were planet brokers. They were, uh, that, that was the nice way of putting it. They were wiping out races and clearing the planets and then selling the planets to other races that wanted to buy them i mean there's like there are whatever there's there, i've seen flashbacks yeah, I mean, but, in the but show regardless, you know the mo you know it's still not a good situation yeah it's genocide they're they're just basically genocidal aliens that go from planet to planet and wipe out whole races and basically this character of goku finds out that he's one of these saiyans that's why he has the tail and his brother Who's one of the last, and the, the other thing too, and this is where the Kryptonian aspect comes into it, into play. Their entire race was wiped out. And his brother goes, hey man, you're one of us. Come join us as we, we, we destroy planets and whatnot. And he says, no, I'm an earthling. Yeah. And then he fights his brother and, you know, that whole, it begins this whole trip of like, you know, um, uh, whoa, the, the, the Saiyans. And then what happens is another Saiyan, Vegeta, even more powerful than his brother, comes to the planet. And so he has to train to, to defend earth from his, from the, the, the biological race that he is descended from. And it's, that's pretty much what um, invincible is. And again, when I was revisiting man of steel recently in anticipation for the Snyder cut, I saw the exact same tropes in man of steel. You have the Kryptonians. They want earth to, they want to turn earth into new Krypton and Superman goes, no, I'm an earthling. And, has to fight the last of his own people for his adopted world and humanity. Yeah. So he chooses them over them. And and the stakes are really high in that one because Superman holds the key to resuscitating the Kryptonian race because the codex is in him or whatever, some stupid thing and yada, yada, yada. And, um, he basically chooses humanity over Kryptonians. And uh, so Robert Kirkman is taking all of this stuff and then applying his walking dead formula of, I'm going to make you fall in love with some characters or build up some characters and then completely pull the floor out underneath you and shock you. And I'm going to do it with massive amounts of violence. I know he's done a werewolf series and I wonder if it's the same. And I'm curious to check that out and find out more now that I know that Invincible is as good as it is. And frankly, I don't know if you feel the same way. I am so sorry that I slept on Invincible for as long as I did because it's friggin' phenomenal. 
I, I kind of feel the same way. Like I, I heard bits and pieces about Invincible, but where I was in my life at the time when I learned that Robert Kirkman had other comics, um, I wasn't, I didn't really have the time to just pick up a new series. Right. I mean, picking up a new series is, it's a commitment. And, you know, frankly, I kind of wish that I had because when in between reading Walking Dead, I could have been doing that. I could have been on Invincible. And again, like, that's the thing. I think the, the, the thing, the real takeaway from discovering how great Invincible is, is just understanding that, that you can take something that's tried and true and apply your own flavor to it. And it doesn't, you don't have to reinvent the engine. You can just take the engine and put it in a new type of vehicle and, and run with it. And that's what Robert Kirkman just does absolutely to a T with Invincible. And I can only imagine the, you know, again, what, what really has me sold hook, line, and sinker, because it kind of, I, mean, I wouldn't say that it, it, it resolves itself. It, the this, this first season ends with Ultraman doesn't kill Mark. He flies out of the galaxy. And you know what? If it was a self-contained series, I really think that that could have been a fitting ending for what is essentially more a meditation on what it takes to be a superhero. You exactly. know, in, and, and that really, the one thing we did not discuss, what really is become, what that really comes to light is that when Mark tries to help a low-level thug, you know, sort of take down a crime boss. Yeah, because and, Mark thinks that yeah. the low-level thug just wants to be free of the life. Right. And in, when, in fact, the thug, whatever, he's not a thug. He's just like, you know, he's a low-level superhero, like, stomping villain that you know he's like a hatchet man whatever he's a you know he, he's and he's in he he's it's he hates that he's under the thumb of this crime this crime lord who's just a total asshole and um you kind of you know he, they do some of that save the cat stuff and what i don't know if you're familiar with save the cat nathan but basically it's a writing style it's like a writing formula where when you see somebody do something like heroic, it makes you like them. And so we see right. him do some things. He's a bad guy, this character who they introduce at the beginning. Then we return to him. He's like this rock man. Yeah, but he, he doesn't seem to enjoy it. You know, there are times he doesn't where, enjoy like, it and he saves, like he's, if he sees that you have a kid, he doesn't like kill you while on other times he indiscriminate, he's indiscriminate in his killing. So there seems to be some sort of honor code, you know? Yeah, like he, like we see him burn down an apartment building, but in the very next breath, he gives the people enough money to go find a, a temporary place to stay while they get back right. on their feet. Right. So we're like, okay, so quite clearly he has some, some sort of honor code or he's not totally evil. And then he totally manipulates Mark into helping him take down his former boss so that he can take over the crime empire. And, you know, in a way, things are better off because we know that that guy is not going to do some of the scummy things that his boss was doing. He's going to have some sense of morals in some of the things that he does because of what we see him do when he's carrying out, you know, crimes. Right. Yeah. But even so, so he, he still is a bad guy because he literally yeah, he took he a is. crime he literally decided to take over a crime empire for himself. And right. it doesn't matter what kind of honor code he has. It doesn't matter how many people he spares. He basically just became the new kingpin. Well, he did, but, but, but here's my point. My point is that if you look at it through a pragmatic lens, pragmatically, things will be slightly better than they were under the previous boss. Yeah. Because he does have some sense of honor and some sense of like there are certain lines that he won't cross where his the previous guy was just like a cold-blooded monster of just you know uh you know just on a completely different level that's what i mean so in a weird kind of way mark does sort of make a difference even but it was he makes a difference in a way that he never intended to and he right. basically learns that you can't trust a bad guy that's what ultimately that guy as you said the new guy is a bad guy, and you can't do deals with bad guys. Well, hold Mark on. Is, hold yeah. that thought there, because you said Mark learns that he can't trust the bad guy. Mark hasn't learned 
what uh, what the Stone Man is going to do. He hasn't actually seen that. He hasn't witnessed the aftermath because he got the shit kicked out of him in that right. episode. So, and I say that um, because Mark, on two occasions in the show, Mark did not see the consequences of his bad of, of his failures. This right. What was one, the other time? The other time was on the mission to Mars. You know, with the parasites. Oh yeah, there was there was that. He too totally didn't notice that they actually did get a host. Right. Right. And they and then then you know and, once and he again fucked over the entire Martian race with that. Right, and and I'm sure that will come and re- rear its ugly head in season two because that was totally left unresolved. Yeah. At the at the end of the season, and hopefully some of the Martians. Maybe they can team up because essentially the Martian guy didn't have any powers. He was just a Martian and Martian, just like Martian Manhunter. Yeah. Martian Manhunter doesn't have any powers. Those are just the natural abilities of, of unlike Kryptonians who gain their powers from a yellow sun. You right. know, um, so, you know, I, I'm very I am curious to see what happens next. But like I said, had this been the end of like a mini series, I was like, you know, what would have been the point of that? Well, the point would have been that being a hero is not what you think it is. Exactly. Overall. And it's from from the, the lesson to learn that your father is actually the greatest threat ever posed to the earth to, you know, um, think it, putting a lot of effort into saving someone only for them to die, to trusting the wrong people when you're trying to do good, to, you know, just there are all these lessons And we didn't even talk about the uh, the robot and everything that happens there. And And that was like, and and now that I think about this, you also ask, what does it mean to do good? Um, We haven't really talked about Adam Eve's personal story arc, but you know, throughout the course of this of this series, you know, she's the Starfire character that Jeff kind of alluded to earlier. Right. She becomes very disillusioned with the superhero life. Right. Um, And she just decides. And basically, she decides that her answer, what does it mean to do good, is not just to go around finding bad guys, but rather she uses her powers, which is literally to to rearrange things on a molecular level, uh, to just go out and help as many people as she can, whether they're in, like, imminent mortal danger or not. Right. And it's a very and it's a very interesting take on what, you know, on being a superhero instead of just fighting bad guys, fighting crime. She's just actively doing these really selfless acts of charity. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, again, it's just, it's a great, listen, it's a great show. I'm very excited to see where things go in the comic. And I'm very excited for season two. And let me ask you this question. If I read the comic, do I need to watch the show? Is it really, do do they do enough variants that it makes it interesting to watch or read whichever Okay. One over the other. Can I tell you one thing that I that this show did better than the comics? Um, uh, I don't know if I a, want to know. It's not a major spoiler, I promise. Okay. Um, All right, I'm going to let you do this one as we we're winding down here. Go okay. ahead. Amber is barely an afterthought in the first 13 issues. Like we know that Mark starts dating her, but she barely exists as a character you might forget the fact that mark has a love interest so they amp up so they amp up the peter parkerness they, all, they amp they, yeah they amped it up like they did her so much better in the show than they did in the comics gotcha. so i'm gonna okay. say this right now i think that you know this is kind of like invincible that invincible the series is kind of invincible take two like they right. like the walking look, dead. it's just like the walking dead yeah like they basically like i feel like kirkman and the other creative forces look went back looked at the comic and decided what can we do better like what can we flesh time? out more what can we yeah. flesh out more so there are aspects of this that are wholly fleshed out more so yeah now, now on the flip side the on the flip side you would you say without spoiling anything, you would say that there is a lot more nuance and context and things happening in the comic book that I, are I, not. Yeah. Like I would say that some things in the comic um, are fleshed out more. Like you'll learn a little bit more about Nolan's motivation um, and his sort of, and his time on earth. Um, but again, you know, they're kind of like two halves of a coin. 
I wouldn't be surprised if some of those things were touched on in season two. Okay. I'm very curious. Obviously, I don't think this is the last we've seen of Nolan. No, I, I, think I this do is, not think. Yeah. He put way too back. much time and effort into Earth to not come back. He'll come back. And I'm sure, I'm sure that Mark will discover some new tricks in his, in his bag or something. You know, again, here's what, here's what I want to know. Uh, here's a question I will leave, uh, and we'll obviously have to pick this up either after we both finish reading. Maybe we should reconvene for this after we read the first compendium, and then we can have a, another conversation. <laughs> Perhaps, um, yeah. But, but here's my question, uh, knowing what I know from the one season that I watched, which, by the way, I love that it was eight episodes. I'm so happy with eight-episode seasons. I hate this idea that we need, like, a 10-episode or a 13-episode season You know, I love that we're, it's somewhere in between the BBC three episode, episodic season where it's like three 90 minute episodes and the 10 episode one hour format. It's like the perfect length. I think six to eight episodes to tell a story arc is a great sort of, I don't know, I'm really getting more and more into it. It's the same thing with um, like less filler and more story. So right. Less filler and more story. And, and again, that's what, you know, the thing that. Again, but at the same time, the thing that plot that Kirkman does really well is he's very good at plotting things. He just plots. He's able to take you from point to point to point in a story. And, you know, generally when something doesn't fizzle out, it's because Kirkman is writing this stuff in real time. He's like, "Uh, you know what, I'm going to he's also a master of of being able to sidestep and backtrack and sort of walk away from something a great example of this and i can say this because you've already because you've you've already passed it ready it's um freaking what's it called um the character of davidson in the walking dead all right who is davidson again exactly you don't even exactly you don't even know davidson is one of the founding members of alexandria when they first discovered alexandria and they all they talk about is Davidson. It's like in it's in bolded, it's bolded out. Like you're like, okay, we're gonna meet Davidson. Davidson is not dead. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's ever been talked about in interviews, or whatever. We never hear, we never see Davidson. We never find out more. But his name is said so many times that you have to think that Robert Kirkman at some point said, okay, we're not gonna go with the Davidson thing. We're gonna take this somewhere else. And we never meet Davidson. We end up meeting Megan. And so it's like. It's just very interesting how he's able. And again, here's my turn to, I'm going to not spoil a spoiler, but just say that Kirkman in the future of the Walking Dead series does this in a ginormous way. And it's a masterstroke what he does, how he just suddenly puts a pin in something and it's so obvious. And it's like a, it's, it's ingenious. It's for anybody who writes, writes and writes themselves into a corner or writes in general just watch what he does later on and i again i can't even say anything i don't want to spoil anything the point is is that he's very good at that someday i'll pick up the walking dead again when you pick it up and we'll have to maybe we'll do that'll be another opportunity to do a pod we can talk about the why because i've never unpacked the ending of the walking dead it would be great to do it with someone um, I would like to, I think we should continue this conversation after this, the, we've both read the compendium. You're, you're way ahead. I haven't even gotten mine yet. It's in my Amazon card. I have to pick it up. I'm going to read it over the summer. We'll reconvene and we'll discuss in anticipation for season two. Yeah, that would okay? be fun. Okay. So I want to thank my buddy, Nate Dog so much for coming on. We did a nice solid hour. Um, Nate Dog is an avid I, I mean, this dude just has his fingers in every kind of like, you know, hobby and interest you can imagine. He's just got his fingers in all those pies. He, he's an he's an avid uh, uh, consumer of whatever you want to call it, fiction and fantasy and yada, yada, yada. I should have probably said this all at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, an, an avid nerd. I'm nobody in the industry, so my opinions mean shit, but they're fun. To, but it's still fun to talk about. No, you know what? Your your opinions are that of of a passionate consumer who consumes the things that he loves passionately, and for that it should never be dismissed. You know what I'm saying? Like oh, it's a beautiful, you. 
That's a beautiful way to put it, I think. I, I feel the same way. So with that, I want to thank Nate Dog. We have a way that we, we exit out. Again, check out the link tree. You know, subscribe, like, comment, share this, all that good stuff. Give this man um, your money. Yes, that's right. So I can keep doing this. And most of all, tell us what you loved about Invincible Season 1 in the comments. We want to hear. So with that, I'm going to say peace and hair grease.